going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Go In The Distance podcast presented by ImmaculateSports.com. Twitter's at ImmaxSports. Instagram is also at ImmaxSports. TikTok, YouTube, Immaculate Sports. Episode 162, a full MLB season here of Immaculate Sports. And another crazy week of football. We got our ridiculous upsets. Um, Both of our teams won. Feels good. Some more MLB grades, too, because uh, we're moving along. You know, we, uh, we're we down to four teams. A very uh, similar format in the episode as last week, where last week we you know, did our normal football stuff and then hopped into baseball season grades for the AL teams that were eliminated. Uh, so we're kind of having that exact same thing this week, except for the NL teams that are eliminated, excluding the Braves and the Dodgers. We will do the eight teams – uh, like the Braves, Dodgers, Twins, uh, blanking on who else got eliminated, Orioles, and then the four remaining teams that are still in once the season ends. So you can look out for that in the coming weeks because uh, next week we'll probably do the same thing plus basketball because we got that started next week. So look out for that. Uh, but we'll hop into this episode and the opener as a Stanford man. Stanford fan, how can I not go Alec, Randy Moss, a humanor for my opener and his absurd 13-catch, 294-yard, three-touchdown performance against primetime Sanders at Colorado on Friday night. That was an absolutely crazy game, Skylar. I know you were watching it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we talked about this yesterday, I think it was, and we kind of had similar experiences in watching the game where we turn it on from the jump. Uh, and it was 29 nothing at halftime, and it's kind of like, oh, okay, what else is on for the night? Let's go find some other sports game. Uh, so we both turned it off, and then I ended up checking my phone later on in the evening and saw that it was 19-29. I'm like, okay, let's turn this game back on. And then boom, touchdown, boom, touchdown. It just goes back and forth, ended up going to OT, uh, and then the catch of the year. If you haven't seen it already, I don't know why you'd be listening to our podcast, but uh, – the catch that Humanoi had over Travis Hunter in overtime was absolutely absurd. And he put himself on the map because he was a guy who never had more than four catches in a game, never had more than a hundred yards in a game. And now he's doing interviews on ESPN. So uh, we'll see how he has an encore or if he has an encore against UCLA this Saturday, that game, I believe is also on ESPN. I think it's the Pac-12 after dark game. So, uh, We'll see what uh, little Randy's got for us then. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I'm glad your college team got a win because uh, Boise State lost on a Hail Mary on Saturday, unfortunately. But we still got the Jets taking down Philly at home 20-14, to 14, shutting down Jalen Hurts, taking the ball away four times, and uh, twice by the brothers. Quincy and Quinnen, first time that's ever happened in NFL history, so that's pretty cool. Uh, Zach was okay. But uh, that's that's all we needed him to be. Just score one touchdown and you can beat the Eagles. And, you know, they somehow got the job done, man. Uh, crazy. Uh, the one thing I don't like, though, is now the entire media knows about Bryce Huff. So now we're going to have to give him a massive contract. If uh, you remember, John Franklin Myers had a similar story, kind of broke out a little bit. And then we extended him really quickly before anyone knew who he was. So we got him for hella cheap. So expect a Bryce Huff extension during the bye. Uh, three and three. We'll take it, man. Halfway there. 
Yeah, we are six weeks through the NFL season at this point, and me and Skyler's teams, the Jets and the Raiders, won or lost on the exact same week through six weeks. So we'll see how that translates with Skyler's team going into the bye this week and the Raiders playing the Bears. Uh, hopefully it turns out into a win, a better turn out into a yeah, win. I hope but, we don't uh, lose the bye week. Yeah, we are six weeks in. A winning's been a win for me and a win for Skyler, or a loss for me meant a loss for Skyler. So we'll see how long that goes for. But just a little something interesting. Yeah, for sure. This episode. We'll get into our normal format, though. For the NFL. Start off with our AFC top five power rankings. Let's see if we've had any movement in there. Starting off with any honorable mentions that you have, Skyler. Yeah, yeah, I got a couple here. Uh, we'll start off with the Pittsburgh Steelers. They drop a little bit this week. I had them pretty high, but, you know, the bye week. They didn't lose the bye, but uh, don't think too much about it. They drop Cincinnati, uh, better by the week. So you take that. And my last team, the New York Football Jets. Okay. If you didn't kill them week one, they're unkillable. It is, you know, considering the circumstances, it is amazing to me that they're still at 500. And uh, yeah, you could say the same thing about the Browns too. Spoiler, they're not on my list here. I'm taking these guys over Deshaun Watson's broken shoulder. Uh, I'm sorry, but uh, that's how I feel. Yeah. Number five for me is going to be the Browns. I don't have any honorable mentions. And I know, you know, people are going to come up for this one that they had against the Niners or the Niners are super hurt. The Browns were just as hurt as they were, honestly. With no quarterback, no all-pro running back. They had a couple guys down on the line that were damn good linemen and Jack Conklin. Uh, their defense was healthy, but they still were missing a ton of people, and they still found a way to get a dub. I know it was at home, and I know it was ugly, and I know it was because of a couple missed kicks and maybe a call or two going their way, but they found what they needed to do to get the win. And they're sitting at 3-2 right now. I mean – they don't have the prettiest record, I would say, and the the wins haven't been the prettiest besides really any of the games. I guess the Bengals week one was was pretty pretty dominant there, but I mean, I like what the Browns are doing. They're finding a way to win the game, uh, and that's what matters most. Who's your number five, Sky? Yeah, my number five is going to be Jacksonville. They're going to sit at the same spot again. I'm not impressed necessarily with the wins they have. Minshew, Atlanta, uh, the game in London. Um, but this is who we can trust out of the AFC so far. The other teams have massive issues that the Jags don't here at four and two. Yeah. Uh, Jags are my four spots. So they get the edge over the Browns. It's the exact same thing I did in the four or five spot last week. Winners are three in a row and they've looked good in all three of those games. Now at this point, uh, after the first three weeks, after losing to the chiefs, we weren't really panicking at all, but losing to the Texans by 20 was kind of like a, oh shit, moment for the Jacksonville Jaguars. They've rebounded perfectly to beating the Falcons pretty handily, beating the Bills in London, and then beating the Colts the way that they should beat the Colts so they get the season sweep there against a team that isn't really that bad. The Colts are, are sitting 3-1 and one in those games outside of Jacksonville right now. So I like what the Jags are doing. They have a big game on Thursday against the Saints, followed up by the Steelers and the Niners after that. Ooh. So big game on Thursday. Yeah, absolutely. My four is going to be the Buffalo Bills dropping down one spot here because they looked awful on Sunday night football. Uh, they got the win. So I, I'm not, you know, dropping them out of the rankings, dropping them below Jacksonville, anything like that. But uh, I'm definitely concerned about Buffalo as a team who watches this division a lot. It doesn't look the same this year. Yeah. Uh, 
my number three spot is going to be Buffalo. So I guess I kind of got one above you there. I didn't think they looked good on Sunday night. And I think pretty much every, even Bill fans can say that to you. They didn't look good in the game against the Jaguars, obviously because they lost. But they got to get right chance against the Patriots this weekend. And I think they're going to do that. And with the current state of the AFC, I don't really think it's possible for me to drop them lower than three. So Sitting up four and two might not be the prettiest four and two, but it is what it is. And they're getting the job done. So they're number three for me. All right. My number three, my biggest bold prediction, I guess, of the show so far. I got Baltimore plus three uh, spots here up to number three. Four and two. They're three and one on the road this season. It's uh, very impressive. We talk about this a lot with the Steelers, where, you know, sometimes I trust the coach more than the team sometimes, and it gets me into trouble. But as of right now, it's been working for Baltimore. Uh, it's a great response after the Pittsburgh loss. Lamar looks a lot better than he did against, you know, Indianapolis, at least this season. He's still improving. We know that that is possible. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, bump him over Buffalo and hope uh, hope that the football guys don't come after me for that one. Number two for me is going to be where I put the Dolphins. They have like a college offense where they can just randomly put up like 25 points in a quarter and just do it again the next quarter, which obviously makes them probably the best group in the league right now. And I, I think that's what the statistics show uh, through six weeks in the season. Their defense isn't anything crazy, but it hasn't had to be anything crazy with how many points they're putting up. So the Dolphins look good right now. They're sitting at five and one. Wins two in a row, and I'm looking forward to Sunday night when they go into Philly to take on the Eagles. Yeah, uh, Dolphins sticking here at the two spot for me too, five and one. They just score so many points; it, it looks a lot easier than than again. Most we talk about the muddled AFC. This is the biggest difference here is the other teams don't score very many points. They're now on to the real part of the schedule. Like you said, Philly is coming up. Also, New England and Kansas City aren't going to be easy for them. Historically, they they never are. But, uh, you know, we're st- we're still looking good. No reason to drop them yet. Yeah. Uh, number one, it's going to be the same team that's been there pretty much the entire season. It's the Kansas City Chiefs. Winners are five in a row now after their week one loss against Detroit. Like, and the theme of this episode so far, it wasn't a pretty win against Denver, but they got what they needed to do done, and they get the job done in a divisional game. Uh, they have another divisional game this weekend against the Chargers, and another one right after that against the Broncos again before their schedule gets pretty tough, and they go Dolphins in Germany, uh, and then come back with the bye, and then I believe it's Monday night that they play against the Eagles, so a couple big games there in November for them. But they should be doing should be. Yeah, the win streak continues for Kansas City. The one thing, though, that bugs me is they keep playing down to their average opponents. It wasn't a great game against Denver, like you said. That could make me rethink uh, if we do a future superstar, not superstar, Super Bowl prediction in a week or so. uh, It could have me not having Kansas City win if there is a rematch with Philly or San Francisco. Yeah, it's... As clear of the top three, in my mind at least, that we have in the AFC, it's pretty tough to say, you know, who is really real out of it because we haven't seen that Miami, you know, go up against Kansas City yet. And I know they played against the Bills, but they got 
destroyed by the Bills. And then the next week, you know, the Bills scored six points against the Giants through three quarters. And that's, I mean, ended up being enough in the end. But the AFC is just very, very unsure right now. And I think when we look at the NFC, we have a similar top three teams, but we have a bit more of a direction of what those three teams really are. I like that. Moving on to the NFC. Yeah. Uh, so do you have any honorable mentions in the NFC? Nope. Last week I had some of the South teams. Uh, after what happened last week, I no longer have those South teams as honorable mentions. Yeah. yeah. Same for me as well. My five spot goes to the Seattle Seahawks, even though they lost against Cincinnati. It really isn't a five team that sticks out right now in the NFC. I think we, uh, we have the top three, and then we have the tier below that with – We'll get into it in a second. Uh, and then that five spot is kind of just whoever you want to pick right now. And I'm picking Seattle. I like their offense. Uh, even though Gino couldn't get it done in the red zone this past week, as a total group, I think they're in a good spot. I think they're on defense. So I'm taking Seattle five. Yeah, also got Seattle at the five spot here, dropping down one with the loss. But uh, three and two is not a bad spot to be in the NFC this year. Very ugly game against Cincinnati, of course, but they're still moving the ball without an offensive line somehow. So that, that gives me the nod over, uh, I guess you could say, uh, Tampa Bay or New Orleans. Number four is going to be where I put the Dallas Cowboys four and two. Uh, and I don't want to underrate this win that they had against the Chargers on Monday night, because after getting you know destroyed on Sunday night, last week against the Niners, it could have been a very easy, you know, two games out in California, lose them both, come back home and, you're on to something else. But they found a way to win in L.A., and I know it was a Charger-based or a, a Cowboys-based crowd except for that one crazy lady that they kept on showing on the broadcast. Uh, Cowboys found a way to get it done. And, I, again, it wasn't pretty, but it doesn't need to be pretty. It just has to be a W. And they're sitting at 4-2 right now in a good spot. I also have the Cowboys here bumping up from the five spot last week. You know, we don't really know what Dallas is going to be this year. I feel like we say this every single year just because we know it's probably not going to end in a Super Bowl if you had to put money on it. Um, but that goes for the Chargers, too, here. So I, I felt pretty good about picking Dallas last night. They snuck out of SoFi with the W. Defense comes through again. And like you said, um, just going one-on-one on that that road trip is uh, it's going to make a big difference for you know locker room purposes, even coaching. Yeah. I don't know, three, and I'm going with Philly. You know, we talked these past two weeks about a hiccup for a team, and you get your hiccup, and you're allowed to not really see a ton of loss from that. I think that's kind of what I'm doing here with their game against the Jets. If they lose next week, I'm also don't. I mean, if it's a close game next week against the Dolphins, I'm not going to make a ton of it. But if they get blown out, that's when you will probably see a real shakeup in the rankings. I'm only dropping them one spot right now, uh, and it's not really even due to them, but. Uh, they're still five and one, and they're still in a good spot with since the Niners lost two. So, Philly's at three. Number three, we are sticking with Detroit here. They got the job done again. Goff has been looking like a top five quarterback this year. I'm just a little concerned about the injuries right now, but three and zero on the road is is great. I'm still going to have no movement though, even though I do think they they should be considered an elite team after what they've done. Number two, bit of a shocker. I'm putting the Niners here. 
And I know it was their hiccup game against the Browns. They had a lot of things go wrong with injuries. Again, like I mentioned earlier, kind of the same thing with the Browns. So it kind of washes there. But it was just a weird – this is the first time that we've really seen Purdy struggle. And as of right now, with how the Lions are playing, I'm taking the team with the better quarterback. Okay. Number two spot, got the Eagles here. Philadelphia. Uh, great, uh, great game to watch last week. Did you know that it was the most watched game since the Super Bowl? Really? Yeah, pretty crazy. All right, let's get into what actually matters here. They're missing St. Shane Steichen a lot. Um, they're, they're too talented to let the play calling mess with them. They're too talented to let the NFC East teams do anything to them. So I'm going to keep them here, even though I think they got out coached last week. I, I think they're still one of the most talented teams we've seen in a while. I agree. My number one spot, the new number one spot. I don't think I would have ever said this in my lifetime. The Detroit Lions, the hottest team in the NFC right now. And they've had four wins in a row. And they're not just wins. They're pretty much blowout wins. 14-point victory over the Falcons. 14-point victory over the Packers. 18-point victory over the Panthers. And 14-point victory over the Buccaneers this past week. So all 14-plus. They haven't played in any, you know, headache games since those first two weeks against the Chiefs and the Seahawks. And they look really good right now. They look like a complete group. Their defense is firing. Their offense is firing. Even through injuries with Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs, they seem to be doing fine navigating those with the, you know, one-week injury here, one-week injury there for those guys. Uh, and Jared Goff has been playing like an MVP candidate, which can be something here in a little bit you might see. So I'm picking the Lions as my number one spot. Will that stay forever? Probably not. They'll probably drop a game here in the next few weeks. And, you know, the Niners or the Eagles move back up. But the Lions are playing really good right now. And I got to give them credit where credit's due. Okay. You know, I don't mean any disrespect here, but I am taking the Niners roster 100 times out of 100. Uh, So that's why I kept them at number one. Turns out they're human. Turns out they won't be going 17-0. That may be my bad, guys. I apologize. Um, But here's the thing. I don't think they got outcoached. I think the injuries to the impact players just destroyed them in this one, especially when it's piss and rain out there and you're not prepared and you got a young quarterback. Um, That's just a tough one. I'm going to chalk that one up to the game and uh, and not drop down the Niners. It's their hiccup. Yeah, that early on, and it's going to remain that way the entire season. Maybe you get a second hiccup in the second half. Also, MVP top five though. Any honorable mentions that you want to get to first? Jared Goff. We mentioned it, um, but I really think this next week is going to be the time where we're going to really see him take over for the offense. Uh, not like uh, he hasn't already before. I just mean with the third string running back, he's really got to lock in. And after that, he's definitely in my top five. Good break from the MVP stuff. Trey Turner, home run in the first, gives the Phillies a one nothing lead in game two. We're keeping an eye on that one as this goes on. Just the mania, the craziness that's going on in Philly right now over these past few days of how these guys nonstop hit home runs. I think it's Turner, Harper, and Castellanos that all have OPSs over 1,400 in the playoffs, which is absolutely crazy. Uh, and Harper's coming up to the plate right now. So uh, we'll hop back into yeah, the MVP yeah. top five. I just wanted to throw it in there real quick. I do not have any honorable mentions, and that leads me into my five guy where I am going with Tua Tagovailoa, who leads the league in NFL passing yards or, or in passing yards right now. 
14 touchdowns tied for lead with Kirk Cousins, five interceptions. Tua's looked really good. Everybody's looked really good on this offense, which is crazy. He's not going to be the only Dolphins guy on this list, just giving you a heads up for that. And I think everybody expects that now at this point. But uh, Tua, got to give him credit. Even if he isn't, you know, the top five quarterback or whatever you want to say. Yeah, I also got Tua here at the five spot. A lot of people thought he was going to be done last season. That's you got to keep that in mind when you're thinking about the most valuable player. And uh, he came back strong. He's leading the NFL in passing right now. Uh, we'll know for sure again after these next couple of weeks where the schedule really gets difficult. Um, it's going to make things uncomfortable for him, but he's earned it. Number four, give me Jared Goff. You know, it might not be, you know, as sexy as stats as Tua right now, where he's got 200 less yards, three less touchdowns, does have two less picks, but they're both five and one. And I think Jared Goff plays a bit more of a role in his team doing as good as he is, as good as they are as compared to Tua. Absolutely. So I picked off at four, Tua at five, and those are the only two quarterbacks on my list. All right, my number four will be a defensive player here. I'm keeping the trend going. Uh, TJ Watt stays. They had a bye week. We talk about it every week. He has two game-winning defensive plays already, and uh, we're a quarter of the way into the season. That's pretty awesome. My number three is going to be TJ Watt, my defensive yeah. player on this list. Again, had his bye last week, so he doesn't deserve to go down at all, that's for sure. And, uh, I mean, Pittsburgh needs him because if without him, they're probably one in five at this point. Good call. Man, uh, my number three is going to be the last quarterback here on the list, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, hasn't been the uh, you know ideal Mahomesian numbers, but he makes so many players miss in the pocket. I mean, Broncos players were diving all over the place on like broken plays, and he still had 300 yards, 75 percent passing, and what was considered a below average game. So he's he gets a nod here, another bump up, and he's slowly just going to be number one again. I hate to say it. Number two for me is going to be Tyreek Hill. 814 yards through six games is absolutely ridiculous. He's currently on pace for 2,300 receiving yards, which would just absolutely shatter the single-season record there. Uh, he has six touchdowns as well, too, which is on pace for, what, 17 touchdowns since they played that many yeah. games. He's the best player in the best offense in football right now, and I think that's got to play a big part. Or I guess you could call it the second best, whatever way you want to look at it. But statistically yeah. speaking, they're this, the best offense in points per game right now. So I'm going Tyreek at two. Number two, I got a Christian McCaffrey and the Niners. Um, got hurt. He drops down a spot for me. But this possibly improves his MVP stock because they lost as soon as he went out. So I maybe I, I did this wrong. I guess for now I'll keep him at number two and, and we just got to wait and see. But um, yeah, this man is, is the most valuable player on the 49ers. If you're not counting Fred Warner or, uh, or Trent Williams. Number one for me is still going to be CMC. And I know it is kind of crazy where the point you said, where it kind of, it enforces the fact that he is the MVP when they lose, when they don't have him. And so that is kind of funny there. However, if it gets to the point, most likely won't, where if he you know misses two or three games for whatever reason, then it's going to be really tough to put him at the top of the MVP list just because you don't see guys you know win 
the MVP when they're playing 80% of the team's games. But CMC as of right now still is the guy for me. He's got seven rushing touchdowns, which is second to his former teammate, Raheem Mostert. Actually, wait, no, they were never teammates, but uh, former Niner, Raheem Mostert, regardless. And, uh, I mean, CMC's been amazing. 110 carries, carrying the workload right now for the Niners. My number one's going to be Tyreek. I think it's very close with McCaffrey. It's essentially the same... I guess you could say the same amount of value. If you if you take them from the offense, you're just screwed. You saw what happened in Buffalo when Tyreek went down. Uh, they got smacked. Another 160 yards and a touchdown. He's been completely unguardable. I know Jamar Chase has joked about, um, I'm 7-11. I'm always open. But, I mean, Tyreek can do literally whatever he wants. Uh, he even did a flip with the camera after he scored, which is pretty cool. So, he gets a nod. A flip from Tyreek was pretty nuts. But that'll do it for the MVP top five. We're through six weeks. After eight weeks, we'll probably do our, you know, just season awards here. Yeah. Final or not finals prediction, playoffs predictions, whatnot. Uh, but let's get into our NL team grades and biggest takeaways. Same thing that we did last week, like I mentioned earlier. And we're starting off with the 59 and 103 Colorado Rockies that were absolutely abysmal this year. And I'm going to say it again. I said it last week. How I do my team grades is based off of how I viewed this team going into this year. If you just met expectations and you're kind of what I thought you were going to be, you're going to get a C. If you're worse than that, you're going to get obviously an F. And if you, you know, exceeded those expectations that I had for you, then the grade will be higher. Uh, for the Rockies, I gave them a D because I knew this team was going to be shit and they were worse than shit, in my opinion. And with this team, you know, you've got a few players. That look good. Nolan Jones, Ezekiel Tovar. I know his offensive stats weren't crazy, but he was a great defensive player. Luis Montero came alive at the end of the season, but there just is there's no identity with this team right now. And I don't know exactly how they find one. They don't have any pitching. They don't have any pitching in the minors. They don't have any, you know, organizational depth on the offensive side of the ball as well, too. Zach being their top prospect was hurt this entire year. And when you look at his stats these past few years, you can kind of see a bit of a fall off of the draft or as a prospect. So seeing the identity and they're not fucking signing Shohei. So that's not happening. And they don't really have a quick fix to this. this. And I think maybe, you know, it's come down to where you just suck for longer and you get draft picks because the fans are still coming out regardless. Uh, but this team needs to find an identity. That was my biggest takeaway. I'm not going to get in too much farther than that on how you find one, but you need to find one. That's uh, that's definitely a good point here. I also have a D for the Rockies. Um, they can't pitch. They can't develop any guys. Even the young guys you mentioned, they made a move to get them. They weren't developed in Colorado, I don't think, at least. Um, another terrible year after spending all that money a couple of years ago, nothing to show for it. This is a team that should be pushing 500 by now. And uh, they're just not even close, man. There are a lot of trades. They didn't trade story when they should have. Uh, and you're seeing, you know, the consequences of that right now. Moving on. Another NOS team, 82 and 80 San Diego Padres. I give them a D minus because obviously we all had those expectations for them being really high going into the season. And 
If you were to tell me all these different things that happened for them this year that were good, were Juan Soto posted 929 OPS. Tatis comes back and hits 25 homers, steals 29 slow bases. Uh, Manny Machado ends up having a good season after a slow first half. Xander Bogarts wasn't terrible, posted a 790 OPS. Gary Sanchez came out of nowhere and hit 20 homers for you. Hassan Kim was one of the most valuable players in the MLB, according to F4. You have Blake Snell, who's going to win the Cy Young in the NL. You have this closer, who's going to post a 1.1 year array. You would think this Padres team is still playing right now. We wouldn't be doing this grade. But they just failed on the filler parts. And that's my biggest takeaway for them is that you cannot sign filler players like Nelson Cruz and Matt Carpenter when you have the ability to make a splash and you have the money and you have the, you know, organizational depth where you can trade guys away and be okay in the long run. I give them a D minus for the season. I think they really need to, you know, be aggressive like AJ Preller always has been in getting those guys, you know, at the eight, nine spots in your lineup, at the middle part of your bullpen, at the four or five starter, they're good because they have the ability to do that and they just didn't do it this year. I ended up giving them a C minus, a little higher. Um, they nearly got everybody fired, and they were much worse than I expected. But the thing is, uh, with what they had, and again, I know they could have done more, but with what they had, this is about what they should have done, in my opinion. Um, with the, the filler players, are just they're just not good. Uh, I guess that's something Preller is about to realize here, and I guess you're looking forward to next season. Should be much better because you know this regime's going to spend you know most of these guys are going to be here for a while. This is probably the worst year they're going to have. We, you hope at least, if you're a Padres fan. Moving on to the last NOS thing that we'll do in this episode. Now, that's going to be the San Francisco Giants, so most of the New York Giants in football mode there. Uh, went 79-83, and 83, ended up finding Gabe Kapler after the end of the season. Uh, and I, I mean who didn't have his team being exactly at 500 going in the year. So I gave him a seat and just how every single Giants fan feels, I think kind of going on to the Rockies, they need an identity. They need a star player that is going to be the face of that team because they have no face right now. And when you look at, I think it was an Apple TV broadcast at the end of the season and they're playing the Dodgers on Friday night baseball. And it's like, you know, Mookie Betts takes on, so the star of the other team in their like postseason race, and the guy that they said for the Giants was JD Davis. That's how bad it is for the Giants. They have like eight dudes with the eight OPS from like seven seventy to like seven ten, and from there that's their entire lineup. So you don't have any stars, you don't have anybody that shit. So that's a good point, but they're all average. So you need to find a star. That's when this team can really start building or not building around that guy because they already have the pieces. But, you know, buy into that guy, you know, sell jerseys of that guy and really bring culture back to AT&T. That's something that they haven't had there in a long time since, you know, Buster Posey left a few years ago. Yeah. Um, the Giants are going to barely pass the test here with a C-. minus. They're just average, like you said. Uh, if they don't get a star, then people are going to look at this regime as a failure. There's some promising youngsters that are ready to roll. Um, but it, it, it's like you said, when your average guys start to really struggle, then they're that's just horrible. That's that's bottom of the barrel right there. That's 
something you got to fix. We talk about retooling lineups all the time. This is probably at the top of the list right now. That's all. Moving on to the Central team. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we got all, all five of them, actually, in the NL Central to do. Starting off with the Cincinnati Reds, a team, the team of, what was it, June that they had their crazy month, but uh, 82 and 80 for the season. I give this season an eight for the Reds. I didn't think that they would come along this quickly with some of the guys that they did. And my biggest takeaway for them is that Matt McLean is the best player on this team. It's not Ellie De La Cruz. It's not, you know, no, Spencer Green. I love Spencer <laughs> Steer, so shout out to him. But this team got good because of Matt McLean, and they fell off at the end because of Matt McLean getting hurt. So he's the best player on the squad. Ellie is super exciting. Uh, and I also have a second, I guess the second biggest takeaway is don't be afraid to trade big league talent for big league talent. They got a ton of guys that can play in the big leagues, uh, and they don't have enough positions on the field. So go ahead and trade, you know, Jonathan India or Jake Fraley or Will Benson. If you're going to hit him ninth every fucking day, uh, and trade for a three starter. Cause outside of Lodolo and Hunter Green, you don't really have a great staff, uh, I guess Graham Ashcraft is good every once every four starts, and he's really good that one start. And those other three is absolutely terrible. But you got to get more well rounded out. You have a good closer in Alexis Diaz. Maybe add another guy in the back end with him that's just as dominant. I know it's really tough to do, but you have a whole bunch of talent on the big league level, and you have almost too much at that point. So go ahead. Move some guys around, readjust your roster, because uh, you guys you got a ton of talent, and you have a window in the NL Central that doesn't seem to be the best division there is. Yeah, man, uh, I'm gonna give the Reds a B plus here. Uh, almost made the playoffs, completely rebuilt the lineup, uh, which is great. I just can't really get past that major collapse they had, you know, where most of their players dropped significantly, and I mean all the important. Stuff OPS plus. I mean, you know what Ellie was doing the last two months of the season. It was horrible. Um, but you know, you make up for that with a uh, Encarnacion Strand, with finding um, you know enough guys to fill in the lineup where you can feel comfortable trading guys, like you said. So I I like that a lot. B plus. Moving on to our next NL Central team, it's gonna be the Pittsburgh Pirates, who ended up going seventy six and eighty six after their amazing April, and then completely fell off from then. I give the Pirates a B. I think the season ended up being a bit better than what I, in total, expected it to be. However, I am scared for the rebuild. They, in the first part of the season when they were doing really good, they got a lot of performance from guys that we didn't really expect. Uh, once those guys fell off and they, you know, tried to bring up the young guys to replace those dudes, it didn't really work out for Henry Davis or Paguero or Andy Rodriguez or Nick Gonzalez or Quinn Priester. Uh, and that scares me. It's kind of like the Tigers rebuild where the guys came up last year and it didn't work out at all. However, I think the Pirates are just in a better place in general than what the Tigers were last year. So that helps them out a little bit. But my biggest takeaway is you need to put faith in these guys because it's them or nothing at this point. So, you know, buy in to those dudes, you know, give them a bobblehead night, even if they got a 650 OPS, make the fans believe Get them confident and get them going because that's your only hope in Pittsburgh of being good for the next you know, five, ten years. And 
I'm not forgetting O'Neill Cruz. I know he was hurt. Uh, that's probably why the, they weren't as good in the rest of the season after April, but or one of the reasons why. But it's mainly because of these other dudes. Because O'Neill Cruz is in can be some crazy 950 OPS guy, even though he might hit 40 homers. I agree, man. I'm giving the Pirates a C plus. It's the disappointing rest of the season after a ridiculous hot start that we were not ready for. But we all know they were ahead of schedule. Um, everyone you named, uh, that's the entire farm system right there. That's the top. They're up. They should be ready right now. So we just got to wait and see. Spot right now because I feel like a lot of the central teams are kind of going through that same thing right now where they have a lot of young talent. Maybe it's not MLB ready yet, or maybe it is. Uh, and we're seeing that talent, you know, turn into certain things in that, at the MLB level. And I think every team throughout this division has seen it in different phases. Uh, so we'll move on to the Cardinals 71 and 91 preseason. I think we all kind of had the expectation that this team was going to be at least competing. For the divisional spot, ended up being the last team in the division. I think this is the third time in their like franchise history that they finished in the last in the NL Central for you know a team that's so consistently playing baseball late in October. So I give the Cardinals an F. Uh, you know, maybe this isn't a takeaway, but Yadi, Wayno, and Albert Pujols are gone, and it's time to buy into that young core that you have with Noel Gorman. Jordan Walker, Lars Newbar, Tommy Edmund, I guess he's still considered young, and a couple other guys as well, too. But my biggest takeaway for them is sign some goddamn pitching because you can't throw strikes and you can't keep the ball on the right side of the fence at this point. So sign some pitching. Fix up your bullpen a little bit because that didn't go plan or go the way that they planned it this year with some of the guys that they have there. Uh, and maybe you compete for an NL Central spot or wild card spot next year, depending on how good these other teams do with their prospects. I agree. Once again, right on the money. Cardinals get an F. Everybody slumped, and they don't even know what their core is right now. They don't know. It's it's obviously not Arenado if he keeps getting hurt, right? How about you put some faith into the young guys? I agree, man. Um, always a wide-open division. Both centrals, it seems like we're saying this every year. So we know it may not be a complete rebuild, but um, make some changes. Bring Yachty back as a coach if you have to, if you really need him to win, right? Yeah. Next up is the Milwaukee Brewers. Won the division and then got swept in the wild card round to the Arizona Cart. Not the Arizona. Oh, my gosh. I'm in football mode right now. The (laughs) Arizona Diamondbacks, who are currently still playing in the playoffs right now. Uh, but 90, 92 and 70 for the Brewers. You know, that's the fifth best record in the MLB, I think, actually, which is kind of surprising for a 92 win team. I gave them a B. Plus. I think the regular season went well. I didn't have them winning the division, so I'm winning the division. Boot bumps them up, but I think, you know, around that 90 win mark is kind of what I expected for them. However, I don't think this team has what it takes to win a World Series unless things go absolutely right, which, I I mean, I guess for every World Series champion, things have to go absolutely right. But I don't think that with this core and this guys that they have in the minor leagues is going to be enough. And so my biggest takeaway is that you better hope Chirio turns out to be an 8-4 player or else he won't be enough. And this, you know, turn of all the guys that they have coming up right now is South Freelick. Bryce Terrain, who can't hit for shit. And the current pitchers that they have on the roster, they're going to be gone. 
Corbin Burns is going to be Yankee. Brandon Woodruff won't be pitching. Freddie Peralta will be a Angel. Orioles? I don't know. Uh, Angel's not a bad one, but uh, I I just don't think it's enough unless Chirio is this absolutely insane player. That's my biggest takeaway this year. Also gave the Brewers a B plus because they did everything we could ask of them. The thing is, though, they're running out of time. You know, they um, are another team who I guess weren't grateful for what they had, and they kind of wasted their great pitching with a shitty lineup. Um, and that's all I have. I, I'm not even thinking Vittorio. I'm just thinking, you know, they're kind of screwed now. It's unfortunate. This was the last ride. I'm realizing right now that I did skip the Cubs in between the Pirates and the Cardinals. So we'll go back to them right now. Uh, 83 and 79, a solid regular season. They were up until game 161 or 162 and they completely choked it. But hey, it's a better season than I expected, at least. And so I give them a B. Plus. Uh, and I think my biggest takeaway is that you got to keep the culture guys around because the culture in Wrigley. When they're playing good in June, July, August is a pretty fun spot to watch baseball. And even though I've never watched in person, I very much enjoy watching those Friday day games that they have every single week when they're playing there. And the vibes there are pretty fun to watch. So keep Stroman. Keep Belly. Keep some of the guys that the fans love. And add a couple pieces. And I think you're in a spot where you can probably compete for a, a divisional title with how wide open this NL Central is. It seems like we're saying that for every team. Yeah, I gave him a B. Uh, another team that almost made the playoffs, not out of nowhere, but um, much better than than they were last season. You know, I think they possibly could attract free agents now because of a year like this. Um, they know they're capable, and just like you said, they're going to be able to retain most of the guys that they want. Uh, that's that's a big win, in my opinion. Moving on to our three teams in the NL East that we got to do. Uh, that's the Nationals, Mets, and the Marlins. We'll start off with the Nats, who went 71-91, and finishing last in the division. However, I gave this team an A. I really liked what they did this year. I expected them to be a team that maybe wins 60-65 to 65 games max. You know, the top, top, they were going to win 65. They kind of shattered my expectations. And I know, you know, 71 wins isn't crazy. This breakout of C.J. Abrams was good. Kiebert Ruiz, Mackenzie Gore, Josiah Gray. Like, they got a lot of dudes who became contributors this year that I did not think to be contributors this quickly in their MLB career. My t- biggest takeaway is that this team can break out in 2024. And I'm not talking about a team that wins 104 games and makes the playoffs. I'm talking about a team that maybe, you know, wins 87 and is an Arizona-type team because they have – James Woody's most likely going to come up. Dylan Cruz can come up next year. And just the installment of those two dudes into your lineup is going to do wonders for them. It's going to bring fans back to Nationals Ballpark. It's going to make the vibe more fun around this team. C.J. Abrams is already an electrifying player, even though I never thought he would be after his first season in the big leagues. He's fun to watch. He can be a guy who somehow has 30-30 potential now at this point. Uh I give the Nationals an A. I think they did great this year. I um, understand. I still gave them a C minus just because they weren't good this year. But I appreciate them starting to find some building blocks. It's not just, uh, you know, throwing a blind lineup out there every week. Lane Thomas, CJ Abrams, like you said, Mackenzie Gore. And we both 
love Josiah Gray. We've talked about it many times. Uh, those guys are going to be there for a while. It's nice. We talked about this with the A's grade the other day. Um, just having a couple of pieces that you know are going to be there just makes you feel so much better. And that's what they're starting to do. And another thing about the Nationals before I move on, I know they didn't sign Harper. I know they didn't sign Rendon when they were free agents. But this team's also not afraid to spend money. You know, they signed Corbin Burns, or not Corbin Burns, Patrick Corbin to a big deal a few years ago. They signed Stephen Strasburg to a big deal a couple years ago. I know they didn't work out, but that, you know, not afraid to spend money and not afraid to have a, you know, 150 to $200 million payroll is going to be something that's big when this team is a piece or two from, you know, really competing for a divisional spot. Maybe it's going to be tough with Atlanta, but they're going to be really good in a couple of years. And if they, you know, have a star that they can sign in 2027 to put them with Atlanta or something like that, that's going to mean a ton. So national fans, I think it's going to get a lot better for you in these coming years. Do you imagine if they were pressured into signing Rendon again? That'd be crazy. They'd be so screwed right now. Imagine if they... Because remember after 2019, the whole thing was Strasburg or Rendon. What if they just said fuck it and signed both of them? And they're just like in cap Or not cap hell, because that's not a thing. That will be, but uh, yeah, it's just that limbo that they'd be going on with. But I guess they did a good thing there because Steve Strasburg is retired now at this point. Yes, no, we haven't really seen the public side of that quite yet with that fiasco. But moving on to the Mets. The team that went 75 and 87 after winning 100 games last year was completely disappointing. It seems like the most obvious F in the books. I give them a D plus because the season was terrible, but they did an amazing job of recycling talent at the trade deadline. They understood where they were and they didn't try to repair something that couldn't be fixed. And they did the absolute right thing. They got a ton of young talent from the guys that they got away. And they practically, I mean, they didn't get it for free because they, you know, still having to pay a lot of money with the guys that they did trade away, but they were able to really build their future well. And I know they have a ton of big league talent on the roster right now. You know, Francisco Lindor is going to be there for a while. Pete Alonso at least going to be there another year. So I think they did a good job there. I think they returned a 90 plus one team, not next year, but the year after that. Yeah, that right there is why I still gave him an F. It's just so confusing, man. At least Lindor and Alonzo are elite, but they're trying to win in two years from now, not next year is is the rumor that, you know, Scherzer had said when he got traded or was asked if he wanted to be traded. You know, what happens when everyone gets re-signed and there's no one there in that offseason? What, you just going to fucking give up? That's that's crazy, right? I think it's... It's so tough to really compete in the NL East just because of the Braves. You know, regardless of what you do, that team's probably going to win 105 games every single That's year true. for the next eight years now at this point. And maybe it doesn't work out in the postseason for them like it hasn't worked out these past two years. So teams are starting to play more for the wild card. And that four spot in the wild card is a really big spot because you get to play at home in that first series. And you've seen what Philly's done with it. You know, this past year, and then you see what they're doing with this year. And yeah. I guess they were the sixth spot last year, but getting in is what matters. And once you get in, you have a chance because, I, I mean, you've just seen these past two years with not just the Phillies, all these other teams that can't make it out of the first round that have the bye or, 
you know, the sixth seed and make it to NLCS, ALCS, whatever it is. So get in. That's all that matters now at this point. I could imagine. be able to do that in a couple of years. Last team, the Miami Marlins, went 84 and 78, made the playoffs despite a negative 57 run differential. What does that mean, Skyler? Means they couldn't hit for shit, but they were good in one round game. So they have a good bullpen. The pitching staff was solid, but they just could not score runs. They actually had the least amount of runs scored in the NL. That's crazy to say for a team that made the playoffs. Uh, so my biggest takeaway is they need bigger bats. You have a ton of pitching. You know, whether you need it or not, you had to trade some of those guys away because you have to score runs to win games. And what we're seeing in the playoffs right now, you really need, what, three guys that you can rely on? And then they kind of have five. So maybe trade a one or two of those guys away, the guys that you don't think will pan out the most or don't fit your team the most. Grab some bats. And stop hitting Jesus Sanchez and Brian De La Cruz fifth and sixth in your lineup. And I know you're a big you're De La Cruz guy. Aren't I you? picked him as a breakout candidate last year. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you're a big De La Cruz guy. I'm sorry. <laughs> Whatever, man. But you I gave know. him an A. It's a good season. All right. Uh, well, I gave him a B plus. Probably should have been higher, but let me tell you why. The biggest takeaway for the Marlins. Don't screw over Kim Ning, okay? That was crazy talk, all right? She just built a you know, nearly perfect roster. Like you said, um, they definitely could have traded a pitcher, but considering the circumstances, again, with what they have, they made the playoffs. They did it. I didn't think they would. It's a good roster. They're on to something here. It's B plus. But come on now, guys. Don't go over your GM's head. Man, disappointing. But yeah. Is that all we got for baseball? Team grades, yeah. That'll head into college football week eight preview. This is where I get to shut up and be quiet and listen to this guy that talks for a few minutes. Oh, yeah. Definitely a, a simplified version of what we did last week here just because we talked a lot about baseball today. We don't need to, to go on and on and on about games that don't really matter. So let's talk about the ones that do. Number seven, Penn State at number three, Ohio State. The game of the week, two great defenses. They battle it out to keep their playoff hopes alive. I got Ohio State winning close. Anything can happen here, man. You know, Michigan does look like the best team out of everyone here. As Kyle Schwarber goes deep again. That's my guy. Speck. Um, Anyways, what are we talking about here? Ohio State. Buckeyes, baby. They win it close at home. Next game. Another defensive heavy battle here. Number 17, Tennessee at number 11, Alabama. Uh, this game was a great one last year, but I expect another sloppy Bama win here. They have a better defense. They have so many first-round players on the defense. Man, Dallas Turner, Kool-Aid McKinstry. I'm sure freshmen we don't even know yet. So another one to keep in mind for playoff implications, of course. The next game here, the last... Um, Ranked versus ranked. We got number 16, Duke, at number four, Florida State. This one all depends on if Duke quarterback Riley Leonard plays. He didn't play last week. They didn't look great. Florida State wins big if Duke has no passing offense. All depends on Riley Leonard. And I got one more for you West Coasters. Arizona State at number five, Washington. It's a 10.30 Eastern start, so uh, that's just for us. The Heisman favorite, Michael Panix, gets another shot to show off after the big win against Oregon. 
I'll definitely be tuning in until it hits about 30 to nothing, maybe even a little less than that, and I'll, I'll go to bed. But yeah, that's what we got for the halftime. Wanted to keep it simple. Not as many NFL injuries, so we're not going to talk about them yet. My team's on a bye week, so uh, not going to talk about them anymore. Unless you have any more Raider talk here for, for halftime. Maybe we're good. Ryan Hoyer versus uh, Tyler Badgett next week, <laughs> and that's going to be crazy to watch. Absolutely. It'll be a dub. All right. Moving on to our bets. Do four last week, uh, if you're going 500 in the MLB, you're doing good, but anything else, you're pretty much doing bad. So take that how you want. Uh, layup last week, I had Detroit minus three against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We talked about how they won by 14 points. That obviously hit. Skyler had number four, Florida State's minus 17.5 versus Syracuse. Smack them. Good job, Skyler, there. Uh, he gets a green on it. This week in the layup category, I went Detroit plus three versus Baltimore. That's in Baltimore. Baltimore is a team that you're high on. Detroit is a team that I'm high on. And I'm putting my money where my mouth is right there. Respect, man. Respect. Uh, I'm going back to some college football here for the layup. Seems to be working this year, so we'll stick with it. We got uh, Road Dogs here, South Carolina Gamecocks. They're 2-4. and four. They're going on the road to number 20, Missouri, who's 6-1. and one. But I don't care. Spencer Rattler's been playing great this year. They've been so damn close, man. They almost beat Florida. They played at Tennessee, good for three quarters, which you'll take. And they played Georgia tough on the road. So South Carolina's bound to get one of these. We'll play it safe and take the plus seven. Full predictions, rough week. I had the Bears money line. That did not happen. Justin Fields got hurt. I'm not on that, though. They were probably going to lose regardless. Skyler had USC over Notre Dame, which were the surprising dogs going into this one. And they got slaughtered. Why. They got slaughtered in, uh, what is it, South Bend? How were they yeah. playing? Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, big one for Notre Dame. This week, I have the Giants over the Commanders. It's only like a two, three points better spread right now. But whenever we got two shit teams going against each other and one of them is plus money, it's a divisional game. Take the plus money team. Why not? That team's really tossed up anyways. Bryce Harper, did he just go yard? No, he did not. Uh, anyways, I got the Giants over the Commanders. All righty. Well, I got a similar strategy here. Pittsburgh on the road facing a banged up Rams team. Uh, plus three for Pittsburgh. But I'm going to go ahead and take money line here. Pittsburgh, outright dub. You know, I have TJ Watt as an MVP candidate. So does my partner here. Um, and no running back for for the Rams, so we're rolling with the Steelers. Your partner now, not just the co-host in prime. Or you know what I'm talking there about. You <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right, that's gonna yeah. do it for episode 162. Next week, 163. A lot of a lot of crazy things have happened in 163 together. We'll see if we can one up them at all with our NBA season preview which actually starts, I think, a week from today, if not nine days. But I think it's next week from today. Uh, regardless, should be fun. Probably the same NFL stuff, and then we'll hop into NBA, so it'll probably just replace MLB, maybe World Series prediction, if that aligns up perfectly with it. But we'll see. We'll see you there, though. Let's go. Any closing remarks? Partner? 
163, always good uh, as an ace fan, of course, but we'll keep the football going. It's been a great year. Uh, we'll slowly get more into mock draft season. It just seems a bit early to talk about it here. I, I still do them in, in my notes. Don't worry about it, but we'll talk about them at some point. Yeah. yeah. We'll see you guys next week. Go Jets, man. Unkillable. They haven't killed us yet. They're unkillable. Go Cardinal. Let me take that new UCLA this week. Yeah. yeah I'll, okay. I'll say that. Okay. Yeah. Dante Moore, freshman uh, quarterback at UCLA, has been struggling recently. So. Damn. Well, we'll see you guys next week. Keep your stick on the ice. NHL is always back, too. Yeah. Uh, Go Knox, huh? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Adios.